Hello and welcome back to the Stadio podcast. I'm Moose Rokwonga. I'm Ryan Hunt. Ryan, how are you doing in captivity? Same as it ever was. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm at the stage of captivity where I now double every spice that I put into my original recipe. Ooh. So I've realised now the key is you don't put in a clove of garlic, you just put in a damn bulb of the whole thing. I mean, who puts one clove of garlic in a dish anyway? Peep, they're out there. Monsters walk among us. People do under-season. I'm not judging them because it's their lifestyle. Oh, for real? Yeah, definitely. People under-season, but you won't, you won't get that in my dancery. Absolutely not. No, Siri. No, no, no. no, no you have to season everything. Yeah, you have to. You have to. Um, listen, before we, before we get into it, um, shout out to an amazing human being who I wasn't aware of until I read their obituary today. The amazing Pape Duf. Yeah. The, the former Marseille president. I didn't realise. The first black president, this is from The Guardian, the first black president of a first tier European club when he took the position at Marseille in 2005. Pap Diouf was a journalist and football agent with Marcel Desai, Basil Boli, William Gallas, Samir Nasri and Didier Drogba among his clients. This guy, he, after that whole like corruption era of Marseille, he was the first guy to lead them back to a league title in 18 years. Mm. That is like the most incredible career arc. And even just reading the tributes to him online. You know, when there are some tributes, right? And they just get shared, they get retweeted. This one went absolutely viral. Yeah. And if you consider what Senegal did at the World Cup in 2002, and the fact that he came off the back of that, and the players must have known him, like this man, like for Senegal, for France, for French football, it was just a sort of a totemic figure. So yeah. I just had to mention that because he just sounds like an amazing human being. Like the tributes are so warm. Yeah, definitely. Before we get into today's show, we need to remind people, download the FOTMOB app. There is a piece that went up that you wrote on FOTMOB after we did the Superhero 11. And FOTMOB are going to put it to a vote. Wow. This week. <laughs> Why? Who's basically like, who wins? Yeah. So they're going to put it to, in the app, if you download the FOTMOB app and you'll get a notification when that that pops up we're going to put in put in a vote and then we'll see who who wins next week that is so cool that's so cool but yeah there'll be other stuff that we'll put up in the FOTMOB app over the next few weeks as well that will accompany the shows that we're doing we've got some funny ones lined up <laughs> yeah there's some gold we thought we were making this show for an audience of two and now we definitely are <laughs> but yeah also before we get onto it we hope everyone is well and safe and healthy and yeah. um just want to say thanks to everyone who sent messages sent tweets about the last couple of shows it's been really great there also seems to be quite a lot of people who were really angry at us. <laughs> yeah, we thought, we thought hypotheticals, you can't go wrong. Let's create football. You can't go wrong. <laughs> it turns out that even when you're doing something, which is completely imaginary, <laughs> people get really angry with you. So yeah, shout out to everyone who sent us angry tweets. <laughs> yeah. I, I ended up having like a bit of a stock response in the end because a few people were just like, what about this guy? What about this guy? Why didn't this guy get a mention? And I was like, if we'd mentioned everyone who we considered, the podcast would have been about four hours long. Also, can I be honest, if they heard the deleted scenes, they would have come for us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't want to get cancelled yet. We're just getting going. They would have cancelled us. If we, <laughs> we get cancelled, what are we going to do in self-isolation? Exactly. Exactly. Got nothing this, else to do. This podcast is all we have. Yeah, it's so taken away from me. Exactly. 
I felt like guy in gravity. I feel like George Clooney in gravity drifting away from safety. <laughs> yeah, so, my little like air boosters are just running out. <laughs> Don't take my podcast away. <laughs> so today's show, we're going to basically recap the last couple of shows of the superhero and supervillains 11. Before we get into the emails and tweets, we need to discuss some very important information. Who are the captains? And what are the kits? Oh, okay. Um, so who's the captain? Right, I think the captain of the supervillain 11 is obvious. Is it though? It's Ramos. Yeah, so to me, it's not obviously Ramos. It's Gentile to me. If you put that responsibility on Gentile, he can't do his best work. That's interesting. Whereas Ramos loves the chaos. Uh, I think actually, no, I think it's, I think it's Beresa, you know. Do you know why? Mm-mm. Because Ramos gets a red in a match like that. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. I don't think Beresi... Brazy's actually pulling the strings, but he's... He doesn't want his hand in it. Okay. <laughs> it's the same thing that we said in the piece. The police have been tailing Ramos for months. <laughs> they don't even know who Brazy is. Okay. R- Ramos it is. Ramos, okay, I'm with that. But then when he gets sent off, which he will, who takes the armband? Because it's not Costa. I think it's Maradona, you see. I think Maradona was an incredible leader, actually. All right. Actually, do you think Maradona should have the armband proper? I think he should, actually. Uh, yeah, that's a good shout. I think Maradona for the, for the Maradona for the captain. I think. Yeah, you're right. And also because Maradona doesn't get sent off in the big matches. Considering a player like that doesn't get sent off, that's remarkable in itself. Yeah, I mean, if Ramos just doesn't get sent off, that's a miracle. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's he does have a big red card in him. Like Ramos, a great player, but he does have a red card in him. Big red card energy, Ramos, captain for the superheroes. So many potential captains, but for me, it's Javier Zanetti. Because I think he'd be the happiest to have his banner on his, you know, the pennant they get. I think I'll go with that. Zanetti's been a captain of every team since he was in teams. He's literally been the captain since he was five years old. He was the water monitor at school. (laughs) (laughs) He was, you know. (laughs) Anytime there's been a committee, Zanetti's been on it. Yeah, definitely. Like he's been been chair of every every committee. All right, so we've got our captains. Diego Maradona for the supervillains. Javier Zanetti for the superheroes. Two Argentines. How cool is that? Oh, wow. Yeah. That's super cool. What about kits? Okay, kits. So should we start with the superheroes? Yes. The most mind-blowing kit I ever saw was when Real Madrid came to Old Trafford and wore black and gold. For the superheroes? Yes. Oh. It was so imperious. Black and gold. It wasn't mean or nasty or menacing. It was just so flash and it looked incredible under those evening lights. Black with gold trim and then every time they play on exhibitions or big games like this one, the sponsor changes and it's a really cool NGO that has the, that is a sponsor. Uh, no, see, I don't think any sponsors, no sponsors. I think potentially you might, every now and again, exhibition matches for sure I would, but I would have them black. I'd have the trim. I would have it black and gold. That's my nomination for the superhero kit. Black with gold trim. I'm going to go, right. So my away, no, my superheroes kit is the 2011-2012 France away kit. Which one is that? White with the horizontal navy stripes. Wow, that you've gone for that one. Interesting. Interesting. Do you remember Nike went through that stage of doing tight sleeves, but that went a little bit longer than normal sleeves? Do you remember the inter away kit? That yeah, yeah, that yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So it was that fit, navy shorts, red socks, it's bold. To me, it's not imposing enough, but I'm happy to defer on it. I'm happy to defer on no, it. No, no, no. There's no right answer. That's my kit. We don't have to pick one. We don't have to oh, pick cool. It. Okay. Well, that's great. Well, okay. So you go with that. I'll go with the black, uh, the Madrid one. My kit for the villains, I put some thought into this actually. I actually designed one. You designed a kit? Yeah. 
all white, okay? Because supervillains basically, I'm always suspicious of teams that play in all white. They're trying too hard to prove something, right? And that's what these people are. They're trying to, oh, we're like, but it's almost flaunting it. So what they have is they have the all white kit and they have the sash, the diagonal sash, like Peru style, right? And the sash is purple and the, the badge is a purple flower. And the, and the shade of purple, there's a flower called the monk's hood, right? It is the most poisonous flower in the world. And it's beautiful. You look at it, oh, look at this lovely, oh, look at this, oh, the, this angelic white and this, oh, the, and the sash. But the monk's hood flower is absolutely lethal. I thought, that's perfect. That is your hiding in plain sight. That is your mockery. And you look at Ramos, Ra- Ramos loves playing in white. Ramos loves the villainy. It's the kind of, I can, I can imagine Ramos wearing an ambassadorial sash in that colour and wearing a flower in that colour and his top packing away like a shirt or a tie with that colour and no one knowing exactly what colour it was and him enjoying the joke. So that's my nomination for the supervillain kit. So you basically designed your own? Yes, the monkshood flower. Wow. Also known as, the flower is also known as aconite, wolfsbane or leopardsbane. And the word bane is so good. It's also known as the devil's helmet. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with a flower like that. Oh my God, you really put, you put me to shame here with the amount of thought that you've put into this. <laughs> I just thought a supervillain requires contemplation. I mean, you could go with the, there's one, you could go with the Roma away shirt this season with the bolt on it. Ooh, I like what Roma stand for though. It feels so strange. I know, I know, I know. It feels like, it feels again, a little bit mean. Then again, having said that, supervillains do appropriate yeah. symbols of beauty. I mean, you were talking about hiding in plain sight. What about the grey Manchester United sharp view cam kit? Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> exactly. That's assault. That's That'd a, be that's, a good villain kit, actually. Listen, there's this villainy and there's fashion crimes and the two are not the same. <laughs> the two are not the same. I'm going to go for, hmm, this is a really tricky one. Can I be honest with you? Go I on. think you've mentioned this already, but the Atleti away kit with which they descended upon Anfield, like the League of Shadows, hmm, is one of the most thrilling kits I've seen in a very it's long time. It's almost a bit too easy to pick a team playing in all black, though, for a, for a villainy. That's why I chose the um, Heroes kit. Yeah. Hmm. This is tough. Kind of fun. Oh, I've got it. New York Cosmos kit. Oh, that one from back in the day. The old school one, because it, most people would probably pick it as a Heroes kit, but it has that element of old school bad guy uniform about it. Was that the green one? The white one with the green and yellow and blue trim. Oh, I like that. Do you know what I actually, and also, you know what as well, a nod as well, the fact that Beckenbauer played for it. And the, yes, exactly. And the, and they're like the cosmos. That's perfect. That is, that's it. That's it. We're done. We're done. We're done. Right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, all right, then let's move on to the rest of the stuff. But the first one I want to read out is from David Hughes on email. He said, hi team. So I hope you're both doing well. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you're doing well. He said, I'd be interested to know who will be officiating the superheroes versus supervillains game. He says, Mr. Kalina would get my vote. Wow. I don't think we can better that. I really like, this is a bit, I know it sounds a bit, a bit hipster, but I really liked Jose Roberto, right? Because he refereed the 1990 World Cup. And I remember thinking he had to referee a lot of like difficult games, like quite bad tempered games, you know, like, cause obviously the 90 World Cup, there weren't many goals and there were a lot of like, I mean, it was a tight tactical tournament. And I remember thinking he had such a great handle on, on, those, on those matches. Yeah. So, I mean, don't get me wrong, Kalina is such a great shout, 
But if cleaning was not available for whatever reason in his financial consultancy business, he couldn't take the day off, whatever, then I would get Jose Roberto right in as the number two. I'd throw in a third name and that's Howard Webb just because I reckon he could handle himself. He'd love it. <laughs> That's a great shout. That's a great shout. And if shit really got real, he could potentially just arrest some of the players. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, Colleen is a good shout though. Yeah, Colleen is great. What a lovely question. Remember on the last show, we mentioned that someone suggested that the supervillains would actually play at the San Siro and we yeah. agreed. Yeah. We found the tweet. It was at words fail me on Twitter. And they said, love this, a team that just inspires fear. I reckon a team of supervillains would have something more bling and dark like the San Siro, as opposed to the Ali Samien, if they are calculated villains. And this, I think this is a big shout. We've mentioned this on the last one. I think it's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I'm with that. I'm happy. Yeah, obviously very happy with that. Yeah, we discussed it on the last show, but yeah, I just wanted to shout that out because I think that was a really good tweet. And actually on the topic of stadiums, or stadia, I should say, Hmm. we had this lovely email from Jose Perez, who said, uh, I found my love of football relatively late in life when following the careers of various Mexican internationals abroad, Carlos Vela brought my attention to Arsenal, the one club that has earned my undying affection. Watching Arsenal playing away in the Champions League, I discovered the most beautiful stadium and perhaps the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. It was carved out of the side of a rock quarry looking down on the Braga City lights at night. And I instantly felt that the Estadio Municipal de Braga would be one place that I wish to visit before I die. It's equal parts football ground and work of art. And although it isn't the largest stadium in the world, its perch overlooking the city makes it the ideal place from which the superhero 11 might keep a vigilant eye out for any football wrongs they could set right. I've never been able to afford travel to Europe and I don't know if I ever will, but it doesn't hurt to dream. And when I do, I dream of Braga. Jose, I just want to say thanks so much for the email. It's a really lovely email and also 100% right. Oh my God. Do you know that's such a beautiful email? Because I remember, I've seen that stadium. Yeah. They played a Europa League final there. Yeah. It's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous stadium. And actually, I think it's, I think that's a really good shout. I think that, yeah, people might not agree with some of the decisions that we made in terms of players, but the beauty about it is that it doesn't really matter because it's just a bit of a laugh. But the stadium, I think we got wrong both times and they were both my shouts actually so I hold my hands up for this as, as great as I think that they would be I think we were looking at it the wrong way San Siro and the Municipal I think are really nice shouts that, that's gorgeous gorgeous choices um, but anyway yeah Jose thanks so much for that email that was that was lovely absolutely awesome do you want to hear some suggestions because we've got some actual suggestions from people yeah let's do it okay one from Alexander Namonu said Great work on both 11s. Only modification, you've got to agree, the coach of the supervillains has to be Klopp. Just has to. Plays the media like a harp and only he will be able to get that team playing for a common goal. Hidden in plain sight, viewed as moral authority, but really just wants to win. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a great shout. That's really that's, funny. That's a great shout. Yeah, but he's absolutely in plain sight. That's actually a great shout because it means that he's obviously fooled us. Yeah, but he's too moral off the pitch. Is he playing the long game though? I don't know. Is he going to flip? Is that what you're saying? It could be a, it could be a bait and switch. We don't know. It could be an elaborate ploy. Ooh, that's <laughs> he interesting. Could like, it could be like Ozymandias and the Watchman. He's playing everyone. Remember, Ozymandias and the Watchman was so popular for those who mm. haven't read the book or watched the, the film. Ozymandias is this supervillain who basically is beloved by everyone the world over. And it's just planning the most grim of all takeovers. 
So it could be that. He could be Ozymandias and we could be in the, we could be in the first act. Yeah, yeah. Let's go through a couple more supervillain ones before we move on to the heroes. This one is from Vishal Ia. Hi, Moose and Ryan. Here's my supervillain 11. We had a lot of shouts for this goalkeeper and I think we need to address why he's not in there. Yeah. Because we did mention him in the... This is going to be a bit of a glimpse behind the curtain, but there are a lot of mentions that we chopped from the final edit because the podcast was just too long. So just to keep it smooth... All right, so he's got Harold Schumacher in goal, Lucio, Sergio Ramos, Diego Godin, Marco Materazzi, Gattuso, Vinnie Jones, Lothar Mateus in midfield, Ian Robin, Costa and Suarez up front. And on the bench, he's got Victor Valdez, Pepe, Gonzalo Yara, Frank Ribéry and Zlatan. And he's put Carlos Biado as the manager. Oh my goodness. Wow. Right, so we had a lot of people asking about Schumacher. I've said this before, but his act of villainy, his act of violence was opportunistic and not strategic. Mm. He had a split second to choose, whereas our choice, Roberto Rojas, actually planned it, <laughs> put a razor in his sock. I mean, that's the level of calculation you need to be a supervillain. I think it's above and beyond. Um, and also, yeah, I, th- I think Schumacher, he didn't qualify on that basis, but we did talk about him. We thought about him. Also, I have to say about this as well, um, the footballers have to be elite players in their own positions and Vinnie Jones definitely being a world hard man 11. Yeah, this was a thing that a lot of people I think got, I'm not confused because, but a lot of people were suggesting people who would go into a hard man 11. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the same with the heroes. A lot of people were just suggesting the best players of all time, but that's not what the 11 was. No, I think that's right. And so, so there's a little bit of a, I, I understand it might only be through our heads that we've we've made this so precise from our way of thinking that people are just like what the hell are they talking about but i think there is a difference between just best players of all time and the superheroes and can we get into this as well i love this 11 don't it's a very strong 11 i think Mateus is a great shout one thing i would also add though victor valzas for me is he if there was an anti-hero 11 he'd, he'd be, be the goalkeeper he'd be the yeah. goalkeeper in that he'd be the yeah. first choice victor valdez to me, is one of the most interesting characters that ever played professional sports in any mm. sport. Like to me, he is a kind of he's a poet and a novelist in that order. Who accidentally ended up? He's basically Fernando Pessoa, who accidentally ended up as a goalkeeper. Whenever I hear him talk, Victor Valdez, I think to myself, that is how I'd expect a goalkeeper to talk about life. Like honestly, if if someone could sit down with him and just record, press record with a bottle of his favourite drink, whatever it is, soft drink, alcohol, whatever he drinks, and just had him talk. They could create a book out of that. They'd be the most compelling football book. It would sound like Galli- uh, Eduardo Galliano. Honestly, I mm-hmm. think he's the most poetic creature I've seen in professional sport. At that end of his career was very strange, man. Manchester United, Standard Liège on loan, and then Middlesbrough. It's all been strange though with Valdez, even when he was the very best. I mean, he didn't really get a look in with Spain because of Cassius, but also maybe I don't know, other issues I don't know. But but Valdez is compelling. I could do a whole podcast on Valdez. So I better stop there. Carry on. Sorry. Ooh, let's do Fat. it. One day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this one's from AJ Graham. He said, my message is focused on the superhero 11 that you guys were making. Oh, so he actually sent this before we made it. He said, I'm wondering if Lewandowski can get on the bench of the squad because Lewandowski always felt like if Iniesta had a spiritual brother who was a number nine, he's never been a heel and is possibly the best non-Messi slash Cristiano attacker of the last decade. Just wondering. Thanks, you old piece. Cheers, AJ. Actually, Lewandowski would have been a shout for the superhero. 
it would have been. Then again, we got we got a lot of heat for not putting in Eusebio, so or Pele. Yeah, I mean, because, wow, we didn't put Pele in the squad. Do you know the funny thing with Pele as well, though? This sounds awful, but I didn't think of Pele, and it's not because I dismissed him consciously, but I just remember that time when. And this is going to be a bit of a downer, so I have to warn you in advance. Do you remember Pele listed his 125 greatest footballers? Mm. It was meant to be 100, but he named 125. And he still didn't name like a lot of his teammates from 1970, including Gerson. And there was, it's funny because the 1970 football team, I don't want to like um, go too far down this rabbit hole, but what's really interesting, the 1970 World Cup, a lot of you remember that as being the great Brazil team. What people often don't realise about that 1970 team was how many players actually sacrificed their best position yeah. for that team to win. So I think the 97 football team, don't get me wrong, it was one of Pele's great moments, no question. What's also really interesting, on a positive note, to look back at that team, if you look at all the players who didn't actually naturally play in those positions, but basically adjusted. Mm. So if you watch um, Gerson playing really, really deep, but actually preferred playing further forward, there's basically, I think, in that team, like four number 10s, who basically sacrificed their own natural roles. And that great goal, the final goal that Brazil scored, the 4-1, there's a moment when Clodoaldo dribbles out from the back. And I was having a chat with someone, actually, uh, when I was making a documentary about the World Cup back for the BBC World Service ages ago. And they made the point, they said, that's the first time and only time in the tournament that Clodoaldo actually shows how quick his feet are. Mm. Clodoaldo is basically the kind of Gilberto-type position that, in that team. And he comes out, he beats four men on the dribble. And it's almost like he's been playing with such concentration and such um, focus for the whole tournament that finally he's like, okay, it's 3-1. I can finally relax and express myself. So for all the talk of Brazil being this like Jogo Bonito and like, you know, this unrestrained beauty, there's actually so much control that goes into playing that style of like extravagant football. Yeah, it's like we were saying before, pure ability wasn't the only criteria for the 11s. Yeah, exactly. Like a lot of people were asking why Cristiano Ronaldo wasn't featured in the supervillain one. And I think that actually in what we had in our mind in terms of pure supervillainy, I don't think he he actually fit. No, because yeah, right. And I don't think he fit into the hero one either. Do you know what's funny though? What it reveals is the nuances of, it rejects the binary of hero and villain actually. The controversy around it, not controversy, the, the debate around it, the conversation around it, I think is a better way to put it. It just shows that there's not these easy categories a lot of the time. Yeah, um, and also it's just completely made up. So it's not really sorry to give us even more work, and we shouldn't. But if anyone feels like submitting an anti-hero eleven, stop <laughs> it, Musa. <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm being silly. I've got, okay. already got too much paperwork. That's true. Carry on, carry on. Let's, uh, carry let's on. take. No, actually, before we take a break, let's get to this one from Noah Kogan. He said, "Hey guys, a couple of suggestions for it was thoughts on the hero slash villain elevens." He said, "One, this is funny." Cruyff has undoubtedly had an incredible impact on world football, but not sure he deserves a spot in the Heroes eleven. The fact that he joined Feyenoord, the bitter rivals of Ajax, and won a league-slash-cup double with them should rule him out. Yes, Ajax didn't offer him a contract, but the fact that he signed with Feyenoord as a way of rubbing it in Ajax's face should rule him out of a side that has the highest bar of admittance of all time and is filled with one-club men like Maldini. Ha <laughs> ha, that's brilliant. The follow-up is, instead of Cruyff, how about Pelé? He's arguably the greatest player of all time and a hero in Brazil and the world at large. So a Cruyff for Pele swap thoughts. We've kind of discussed why we probably wouldn't make that swap. But I would add, it's like you were talking about the hero's arc. Maybe that was just his wobble. Captain America had a wobble in the Winter Soldier. 
Like he basically went off piste, didn't he? He went off piste. I was watching The Dark Knight the other day again for about the millionth time. And you know, the bit where Lucius discovers Batman's surveillance stuff. Basically, that surveillance thing in The Dark Knight was when Cruyff went to Feyenoord. But then when he went back to Ajax, that was when Lucius put in his password and it all just blew up. (laughs) That is amazing. (laughs) That is an incredible shout. You just compared Johan Cruyff (laughs) (laughs) to The Dark Knight. (laughs) That's incredible. That's incredible. Do you agree, Miss Wonga, or do you disagree? I agree. In that case, let's take a break. All right, we're back from the break. Let's do a quick one from Shane Thomas. Sorry, I'm still laughing. <laughs> the dark, the dark Cruyff rises. <laughs> Just... <laughs> Sorry, let's go, let's go. This one's from Shane Thomas. He's sent in a superhero eleven. He said, slightly different take. Instead of picking footballers who would make some good superheroes, my superhero eleven are footballers who have characteristics that match specific hit superheroes. And we can't get into all of them because he's written a little bit about all of them. But there were a couple who I, that I really liked. Manager Carlo Ancelotti is Alfred, patient, loyal, and will always look out for his players' best interests to the extent that they'd never want to let him down. That's amazing. Do you know why I love that as well? Because you know how Alfred is always trying to encourage Bruce Wayne to do something other than just like fight crime? Yeah. I reckon Ancelotti's that kind of guy who's like, listen, if you we don't like football, there's so much else out there. I reckon he'd encourage Cruyff to be an architect. Buy some land and make your own vineyard. There's, <laughs> there's a whole podcast to do on alternative careers that Ancelotti encourages footballers to take outside right, football. There you go. There's another one we've got lined up. Alternate careers of footballers. Oh, that is that is so good. That's so good. Yeah, the other one I really liked was right back Hector Bellerin as the Flash. The prototypical young hotshot who's very sure of himself and lightning quick. You wouldn't want to take him on in a foot race. Also, Hector looks a lot like Ezra Miller, who played the Flash in Injustice League. <laughs> Brilliant. That's really good. Cheers, Shane. That's amazing. Um, uh, we had this one from Martin Mulcahy. Just left a five-star review on iTunes, despite the lack of a German player in your Superhero 11. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Martin. Thanks, Martin. He said, I know it was difficult to limit yourself to 11, but would have thought Miroslav Closer would have merited at least a mention. Worked his way up from the third tier of German football, not some academy product, to become the leading scorer in World Cup history, which is doing Superman stuff while still wearing the Clark Kent glasses. That's a great shot. Never flash and always cool. He kept Germany in the hunt for all prizes despite never scoring beautiful goals. Plus, is honest to a fault, telling the referee who gave a goal that he had scored it with his hand and that it should be disallowed. What a lovely man. Do you know what? Can I say this? Actually, first of all, thank you for the review. That's so kind. Secondly. Yeah, cheers, Martin. What a lovely message. And um, if there was a perfect son-in-law, 11, if there was like an, oh, he's a nice boy. Now that, there's a friend of mine we play football with, um, shout out to Tilo Schumann. And we all, our nickname for him, or my nickname is, is the Schwiegersohn. It's like the German word for like the son-in-law. The per- he's based like the perfect son-in-law. And Miroslav Kloser strikes me as such like, a perfect son-in-law. Like, oh, he's he's a nice boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I said before, I mean, there were so many people that we just missed out on. Do you know what's funny? There are so many German players who are like perfect sons-in-law. Yeah. Like Philip Lahm is such a nice, you can imagine Philip Lahm being such a nice, oh, what does he do? He's, Philip seems nice. You can imagine like so many of them being like that. Yeah. 
Two quick ones from Twitter. One from Jamie McGovern. I'm assuming this is for the superheroes. Totty for a bench shout. Loyal to one club and was important internationally. Had his turn to the dark side with the Ramadal incident, but overall a good guy. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's a good shout. That's a nice, that's a nice shout. I really like that. Oh, we miss so many people. Also Del Piero. Someone shouted out Del Piero as well. Yeah, this is the next one. It actually, words fail me on Twitter. The same person who suggested the San Siro. They said, in response to the Superhero 11, what a team. I'd have tried to find room for Del Piero on the bench. Won everything. Stuck with Juventus in Serie B. He's Il Capitano. Scored two in the Bernabeu. That goal in the semi-final. You know he'll get the team out of the fire if they need him. Can I be honest with you? He was my starting left wing choice for the Superhero 11 in the 4-3-3, but it didn't quite work because he wasn't the left winger and Di Stefano had to go over him. Mm. And on the bench, there wasn't really, I didn't know there was a left winger on the bench, so I couldn't include him in my squad. Pushkas. Yeah, Pushkas. But Pushkas was ready for forward, so he didn't really count conventionally. So there wasn't really a 10. So he was almost a victim of a tactical setup, I think, to that extent. God damn us with our tactical setups in these theoretical, fictional, nonsense 11. The universe, (laughs) the universe is on the line. We can't afford to get this wrong. (laughs) Thanks to everyone who submitted their 11. Sorry, couldn't read them all out. They definitely gave us some food for thought though. These are amazing. Uh, Let's move on to some other questions. First of all, we have this one from Cheeky Ball Boys. Shout to Bob. He said, when this all passes, Dr. Danielle, who is Bob's lovely partner, he says, Dr. Danielle and I will be getting married. Will you guys officiate and DJ our wedding? We are happy to come to Berlin. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Amazing. Absolutely. And the good news is that Musa wouldn't even need to buy any new clubber to officiate it because he's already got so many wild jackets yes, that come true. straight out of the Roman Catholic priesthood. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I should do a jacket cast one day just to go through the wall. No, I won't. Um, that is, you know what? Listen, as long as the pugs can be trusted to behave in your absence, that's amazing. That's an amazing show. Bring them with oh my God. the flower pugs. The pugs are so cool that, that Bob and Danielle's pugs have got their own, their own Instagram account. How do they do it though? This is always strikes me about dogs with their own Instagram accounts. How do they do it with the dexterity? They provide the content. They better pay them in treats. They better pay them in extra treats. Cause better. <laughs> this is a really good question from Matthew Halton. He said, hi guys, question for the podcast. With Euro 2020 pushed back to 2021, the same year as the Women's Euros, do you think these tournaments should be integrated in some way? And do you think UEFA would be brave enough to shake the formats of these up? I'm kind of imagining it as a tennis grand slam where you end up with back-to-back finals at the end of the tournament, or you could stagger them so qualifying for one starts where the games start to thin in the knockout. Do you think that integrating them will help raise the profile of the women's game or would it lessen it? It feels like running them consecutively would be a missed opportunity. Cheers, Matt. That's an amazing idea. Look at, look at the Olympics. It works with the Olympics and no one says a thing. I mean, from a personal point of view, I would love to see that as a spectacle for a tournament. I think it would be great. You would get rid of men's and women's Euros and stuff like that and you would just have the Euros. I'd be interested to hear women's players and coaches' takes on that because they may prefer a standalone tournament. All I can think is, I remember a bit the response when they moved Champions League finals women to different cities. And I remember, because what they used to do was they used to have the Champions League for women. The final was three days before the men's. So it was like the Wednesday, the men's was on the Saturday or something. So three or four days before. And the idea was that people who were coming to that city for the Champions League final for the men would watch the women's one in advance. Now, I saw that. That happened in Berlin 2015 when Barcelona played Juventus and before that, Frankfurt played Paris. And it was a sellout. It was amazing. The atmosphere was incredible. 
but I think there is a certain dignity in standalone. I would love it as a football spectacle. Yeah. I think it would be great personally. But yeah, that is something that I would suspect is potentially something that maybe women's players and teams don't want necessarily. But I don't know. I don't know. I think the thing is the women's athletics has not been hindered to the same extent as women's football. So when you watch the Olympics, women athletes have had that prominence. So when the, the Olympics is fully integrated, you know, attendance rates or viewing figures are pretty high for both. I suppose the danger of having a joint competition is you one is sort of swallowed up by the other. You'd have to strip it back to being less teams for the men's. Yeah. And you'd have to run a really streamlined tournament or two streamlined tournaments in parallel. I think it could be really great. But yeah, like I said before, I don't really know if it's something that the women's game wants. Yeah. Great um, idea though. Great idea. Yeah, definitely. One from David Clark. Hi guys. I listened to The Greatest League Show today and I'm not going to challenge any of the sides in it. Oh my God, what a relief. <laughs> <laughs> we got away with it. Oh, thank God. David says, what struck me listening was how many great players would not be in the league. Ronaldinho, yeah. either of the Ronaldos, Neymar, Cantona, Keane, either of the Laudrups, Modric, I could go on. I know you had to limit it, but wonder if there is something in this. There's also a wider conversation. I think what is behind it, David, if I'm being honest, there's also this, the misfortune of sometimes not being in a team which fully fits your talents. Alan Iverson syndrome. Yeah, like there are some, I'm not saying that those, you know, you've played, they've named those players and they actually did have great teams. But if you look at Luka Modric, it took Luka Modric a long time before he got the team he fully deserved. If you think about it, like if you, if you consider his talents, and I, I don't mean when he was back in Croatia, I mean like, you know, the Spurs team he was in, if you look where he ended up and how he ended up, mm. Spurs were in so much transition. And that's the thing about football as a team game. You look at George Weah with Liberia mm. and he never went to a World Cup because Weah never quite had the players around him to elevate him to that tournament. And I think that just reflects the luck in football. And I, I talk often about this and I've written about this a lot anyway already, but if Cafu hadn't met a certain manager, if Cafu hadn't met Tale Santana, he could have remained a right midfielder for the rest of his life. And we would never have heard of Cafu. He'd be just another very good Brazilian division one right midfielder. Mm. With football, we have to think about luck so much more than we actually do. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a good shout. All right, this one from Graham Cumberbatch. You spoke about Pogba a couple of episodes ago. He's won a World Cup, four Scudettos, a Europa League title, played in the Champions League and Euros finals, all by the age of 25. Yet analysts often credit his teammates. Does he get the plaudits his resume deserves? Any other marquee players you remember being assessed similarly? Pogba actually is funny because you could look at him and Modric and be like, what if Pogba's years are still way ahead of him? Yeah. If you consider that, if you consider that it it took a while for Modric to get going, Pogba has had two years which have not been enjoyable by his standards, but he's got so many trophies in that cabinet. If Pogba moves somewhere else, he could easily go on a run for three, four years and just dominate everything. He could easily go on that. Like he's good enough to do that and his game is adaptable. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, there's, you know, I, I spend so much time banging the drum for Pogba on social media. I really shouldn't because he's happy in his life. Judged by his Instagram, he's very happy. So look, I think that it's the burden of any footballer who is not an alpha. Yeah. It's the, it's the burden of any footballer who's not an alpha. If you're not an alpha, and when I say alpha, some might say, oh, but Pogba's an alpha. I said, no, actually, because when a player is an alpha, you know it. No, he's not an alpha. Yeah, he's not. He's the, it's the same with Ozil. And we, we talk about these two in tandem quite a lot, don't we? Because I yeah. think there are a lot of similar traits with their games. It's like Paul George. Paul George, I don't think is an alpha, but when there's an alpha there, he can kind of play like an alpha 
But if he is the number one, even though he did really, really well at the paces, but I think his game is elevated when he's in, when he has someone else there. And you saw the same with Ozil. You saw the same with Pogba at Juve. It's like, I think I can see someone like Jaden Sancho going down a similar thing. I think Jaden Sancho really thrives off being the youngster in that Borussia Dortmund side. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see what Jaden Sancho is like at 25, 26. I said this before. I think that like, it's funny because I think Neymar's an alpha. Well, Neymar's proven that. Neymar's proven that he's the guy. But I think the key is to integrate yourself into a team where everything's up and running. So if you look at Sancho, I've said this so many times, I think Sancho at Real Madrid would be unbelievable because I think he would sew together that front line. He would instantly give you, I think he, any, any team that Sancho joins at that level, he could add 15 goals a season in terms of goals plus assists, like league goals. And assists. I'd actually prefer him at Barca. I would too. I would too. But I think that he would fit more naturally what Real have because really all they're really lacking is is in the front three. That's the part that's slightly messy, I think, with it, for them. I don't know, man. I think if you think of that Barca front three... It's a mess. Sancho, Suarez, Messi. It's such a mess. That, no, because Suarez is... It's the physical side. He's just body... His body has... It's, the, it's Alexis Sanchez thing. His body has just got so many miles on it. Like the intensity... Yeah, the intensity at which Suarez plays games. I don't think he's washed, though. He's not, No, absolutely He's not washed. This is the problem. He's not washed. He's in that weird place where... He's physically run down to the point where he's not his peak anymore, but he's still, you can't replace him yet. And any mm. place that you move Sancho to, he's got to slot straight in to the team. Yeah. And unfortunately, Barca are in that kind of weird transitional place. We've got lots of ill-fitting pieces. But yeah, that's Barca. Oh, on the Barca subject, while I'm still here, there's an amazing nine minute video going around about Leo Messi. It's gone around on Twitter recently about Leo Messi basically talking about how he plays the game. And Leo Messi is such a great talker. For a guy that doesn't talk very much, he's been talking quite a lot recently, speaking out about the Barcelona board, speaking out about donations um, or players basically giving up potentially their salaries to help club employees. But Messi talking football, it's just... It's so good, that video. It's a dream. Hearing him just talk about, I don't really like doing tricks. I prefer to be good at doing everything else. Because even that, you know, the challenge when Leo Messi is like juggling the toilet roll and everyone's doing fancy trips and whatever, and Messi just juggles it like a few times, like 10 times and knocks it back. But Messi's final touch, anyone that watches Messi juggle the toilet yeah. roll, the final touch is like a side foot volley with a bit of spin. Have you seen yeah. that? He puts a bit of spin on it and like, see that there? That's gangster. He's a minimalist, man. It's no coincidence that Messi's finest game, or arguably his finest game, is one in which he doesn't score. Mm. The 5-0 against Real Madrid... Barca at their peak, Messi doesn't score, hits the woodwork, of course, tries to chip Casillas from a ridiculous angle, and it's actually the best available decision, sets the tone for the entire match, and it's utterly devastating. And it's funny because Messi says in that, in, in that nine-minute video, there's a moment when they actually ask him, what do you prefer? Do you prefer scoring goals or being the playmaker? And Messi actually interrupts the guy before the guy finishes. And this is like, Messi doesn't talk, he's interrupting now? And I was laughing, and he was like, the playmaker... I prefer building from the back. And I'm like, this is one of the greatest goal scorers. This is similar to LeBron James in basketball. One of the greatest scorers of all time who doesn't actually primarily enjoy scoring, who only scores because it's the best available choice in the circumstances. Like you've considered every other option and you're like, yeah, I should probably score. And it's funny because to that extent, Messi to me is a spiritual heir, a natural heir of someone like Zinedine Zidane, 
who Zidane actually would pass to a fault. The only difference between Messi and Zidane to me at that level was they both love playmaking more than they love scoring. There's a thing about decision-making and goal scoring where they often said if Zidane was more selfish, he'd have scored many more goals because Zidane was actually a really good finisher. Yeah. And I just think there were certain times when Zidane would almost, was deferential to a fault, I would say, in certain situations. And Ozil as well, because Ozil's a good finisher. And it's just... Yeah, he really is, yeah. They're so pass-first, those guys. And it's Mm. really rare to see a player like Messi who is so pass-first, who still is like, we have to get this job done too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I reckon we're good for today. I think so. I think so. Thanks to everyone who submitted stuff and sent tweets, you know, good or bad. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We hope you're all staying well and safe and, you know, wash your hands, stay inside if you can. We're going to be back on Monday with another theme. We've got a couple of options. Don't know which one we're going to do on Monday. But don't forget, if you haven't downloaded FopMob on iOS or Android, download it now and then you can check Moose's piece to accompany the Superheroes podcast and there will be another thing going up Thursday or Friday which will have the vote between the two 11s and then we'll talk about that a little bit on Monday all good right that's about it for this week don't forget if you listen on Apple Podcasts please give us a rating and review it really helps us grow the podcast you can follow us on Twitter at Stadio you can follow us on Instagram at Stadio Football the website is Stadio.Football we'll be back on Monday that's right and we're playing out this week on Omar S and Ob Ignat, Wayne County Hills Cops, the original mix. We've been wanting to play this out for ages, man. <laughs> I think the first time I wanted to play out on this was like October. Such a tune, such a tune. But yeah, because everyone's inside, we thought we'd play out on like a load of party tunes for the next little while. So um, make sure you turn this one up. Turn it up. Uh, are you vibing? Vibes, vibing vibes. On there. <laughs> I'm always vibing. My life is a vibe. Say goodbye, Musa Gorga. See ya. See ya. We'll be back on Monday. Take care. Stay healthy.